0: another week of the
1: base training podcast uh, this time we're taking some inspiration from the world cup rugby um, and England's triumphant uh, progress that they've made through so far and um, we are in the, the two days before the world cup final um, and we're looking forward to it so we're going to be talking about what we can learn from the England rugby team um, and what we can learn from the importance of deloading and tapering and not just hammering it all the time, which England have, they've got down to a T um, over, the, over the past 12 weeks. So we're going to see what we can learn from them. As always, though, we're going to introduce ourselves and uh, you know where you can find us and more information about us. So um, Will, won't you kick us off? We're, do you like that pun? Kick us off.
2: Eh? <laughs> see what you did there. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <wait.
0: laughs> so yeah. You can find me on uh, Instagram, coach underscore will underscore strath D, LinkedIn, Will Strath Facebook, Will Strath Health and Fitness Coach, and Will at base training is my email.
1: Excellent. What about you, Stefan?
0: Yeah, uh, you can find me
2: on Instagram at Stefan underscore uh, sorry wrong got it wrong oh my gosh Um, at coach underscore stephan underscore winder is my instagram Uh, facebook Stefan Winder strength and movement coach linkedin is Stefan winder msc and email is Stefan at base.training excellent
1: stuff and you can find me on lee carter uk on instagram facebook and linkedin and you can also email me at lee at base.training if you want more information about where you can find uh, all of us together head to the website, www.base.training and you can go onto the Get Started page, click on one of our pictures, whoever you want to work with, whoever you like the look of, um, and then book in a consult with us. Consults are free and we're just looking to see what what you want and what we can help you with. Um, So, what can we learn from England rugby? Um, And why is it important to deload and taper and not just hammer it all the time? Stefan, what have we seen from England Rugby over the past, um, I suppose, past, what, two years, maybe? As Stefan is a big rugby fan, so what would be...
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> what can we learn? So, What's your thoughts on it? So it's, it's been super interesting from both uh, a coaching standpoint and as a rugby fan to watch. So when Eddie Jones first took over, um, if people do watch rugby and follow rugby, you re- remember that those first two years, England remained undefeated. And we would just beat everyone that there was to beat. We won six nations back-to-back, um, won all our autumn awesome international games. And then something happened after those two years. And we lost the game. And then we just kind of got into a perpetual cycle in that, six, in that third Six Nations of just losing, losing, losing. And England just looked... Battered and bruised and tired all the time. Um, and for me, that was just a big indication of overtraining because these players, they all play club rugby and the club rugby seasons are getting longer and longer and longer because you've got so many competitions. You've got the Premiership Rugby Cup, then you've got actual Premiership Rugby, the regular season, then you've got European Rugby, uh, which is also, if you're a football fan, it's the equivalent of the Champions League. So if you're a part of a team, so if we take Saracens, for example, a lot of that English team are now Saracens players. And the better you do in that competition, the more games you have. So you're just adding volume to your season. So whereas before, you could probably get away with three gym-based training sessions plus three on-feet rugby training sessions a week. Now, now a lot of teams are maintaining that volume. But if you add an international training on top of that, These players are just simply burning out. And we we saw evidence of that in that third season under Eddie Jones, where England would just, they just looked wiped and they just didn't have anything left to give. But then what we've seen in the last season, uh, the most recent season, so this year, is England have just looked a lot fitter. Like they just haven't tired out in games. They've been playing more of the game, they've been playing closer and closer to that 80 minute mark. And that all came to a head recently. Against New Zealand, we played a full 80 minute game. I think that's the first time I've seen England stay in a game for eighty minutes without switching off it, for as long as I can remember. Um, and that is purely down to their their training plans, like their periodization of the year and their monitoring testing and evaluation of players. Um, so obviously there's multiple ways that you can you can track fitness and there's multiple ways they've been working on fitness. Uh, both on feet, on, on the actual pitch itself, doing on-feet conditioning, but then also their strength training as well as their skills and drills. Uh, it's just manipulating those training variables to ensure that we are at the right place at the right time and that we're, we're limiting that overtraining effect so that we are giving full 80-minute performances at the right time, which is now in these final stages of the World Cup.
1: Yeah, I think it's important like what two and a half years ago Eddie Jones has essentially come out and said when the World Cup draw was on that he knew they were going to face New Zealand in the semi-finals like they did the maths um, worked out like their predictions for the games based on current knowledge and past knowledge and <clears throat> worked out that if everything went to plan they would face New Zealand and he said that was that was the focus that was what they've been training for essentially um, and preparing for and I think it's, in, I think it's, it's actually quite interesting that what, two and a half years ago is essentially when the slump started and they kind of took a step back. They de- con- essentially deconditioned a lot of the players, experimented a lot more, gave them a lot more time to rest. And and now that has culminated with like two and a half years of work. It's going to culminate, what, it kind of semi-culminated with the New Zealand performance and it's going to culminate um, in the World Cup performance, the World Cup final performance. and it's important to kind of see that that's a long period of time, two and a half years, it's a long time. And to go, okay, this is our goal. It's got, It's gonna take us longer than six months to get there. Let's play a bit more of a long game. And you saw that with um, what you would call poor uh, performances in the Six Nations in the last two years. And, but at the same time, we, we did know there was a strategy in place and they were trying things and, uh, you can't fix everything at once. There were a lot of problems at that point. So it was, I think there's a part, point of going, okay, what's what's the priorities? Um, what do we need to fix in the game? And where do we start? And then how do we progress that? Because you can't train everything all of the time at max intensity. Um, so it's in, uh, There was definitely a, a, a shift, but it looked like it was for the negative. But I don't think a lot of us had the foresight to go, oh, yeah, the World Cup is in two and a half years. That's what they're preparing for.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. It's, um, it's that thing, isn't it? It's like in this day and age, it's all about that instant gratification. Uh, and a lot of people are constantly expecting results all the time now um, on these one-off performances. On games, that in in the grand scheme of things, really aren't that important. So, like in, in the World Cup warm-ups, for instance, England played Wales and they absolutely demolished Wales at Twickenham the following week they went to Cardiff to play Wales and they lost by a couple of points and people were kicking off and they are like oh my god this England team's going to be absolutely rubbish but like you've got to understand like you're not pulling the strings here and it's it's a big decision to have that kind of faith from, from the RFU to have that faith in Eddie Jones um, but he's proved them right he's like look if you trust in me I'll get you to a final and he's absolutely done that so it's just it's precise uh, planning and timing and organization that will get you those results. And I just think he's done that incredibly well. From a
1: coaching perspective, I think it's uh, it's important and from a, I suppose, a client perspective, because I'm a client of a coach as well. Um, it's, it's tough to have that faith in your coach that when they say, okay, you've got this goal, but it might take three years to get there and you're not gonna be your fittest now. You're probably gonna play, we need you to get worse essentially before you get better and I think that's pretty much what England did is they got a lot worse <laughs> and that showed like they lost one game it wasn't but I don't think it was by that much was it I can't remember and yeah and, that's, three points. yeah and that started the slump and but they got worse and I think that was because they were like okay what's what's wrong let's break it down and then okay it's the scrum that's wrong cool let's fix it and the next five games we're gonna make sure we destroy the scrum we don't care about anything else And to get that buy-in off of your clients, and for a client to have that buy-in, there has to be some sort of shared um, goal, shared uh, focus. And I think they must have got together and said, look, for the next two years, who gives a shit about Six Nations? It'd be great if we win, awesome, but who cares about that? We want to be the number one team in the world, and the number one prize for the number one team in the world is the World Cup, in rugby that is, anyway. Um, it's just like the Olympics. It's great to be world champion, um, but you're one of hundreds. To be Olympic champion is a very different thing. As a, you have to be consistent for four, four years, essentially, in your training, your preparation. Um, and I take a, uh, I'm going to kind of side step and uh, give a what's the word? A uh, an example from judo. So there's this guy called. Uh, Tadahiro Nomura a while ago and I think he won three or four Olympic golds on the trot and in between like the the, the third and the fourth one I think it was he didn't compete for three years he would then from the last year he would then start competing again and then he would win like he would just come out it, it was like he came out of nowhere he would say he'd retired he'd come out of retirement and then he had trained for, he'd been training probably really low level for like three years and then the last year is his intensification and he ends up winning again because it's that's the important part he wasn't bothered about being world champion every year it's more about okay this is this is the number one prize in judo and in rugby it's the number one prize is the world cup no i really remember you are world champions for four years essentially <laughs> that's what you'll always be remembered for um well what's your What's your thoughts? Obviously, you're not the, uh, the not a massive rugby fan. Um, so, what's your thoughts as with a bit more of an outside perspective?
0: Um, so, the, the way you've been talking about um, obviously reaching their goal of the World Cup final um, and effectively not hitting goals along the way, um, that is like a really good analogy for even just the everyday athlete in the fitness industry. Um, there's too many people that think you can achieve success on the short term and that just carries over forever it doesn't Um, so if if you to sit down in the same scenario England obviously sat down with uh, Eddie Jones the coach so that everyday athlete sits down with their coach and they discuss what their goal is that might be in two years time to reduce your body fat by so much percentage Um, and the coach can get you there along the way you might have a couple of you might fall down a couple of times. You may not kind of be where you want to be during those two years, but at the end of it, you will be where you want to be. So, like, it, I think sport shows most people that you can't just have success instantly and let that carry over for, for the rest of your life.
1: I think that's uh, that's quite a cool soundbite. You always give a good soundbite, Will. Um, I know. <laughs> Thing is, I think one of the reasons why we're talking about it is this: that you can learn a lot from elite performance, because they do think they're doing they're, they're doing performance to the, the highest level. Like this is the elite level. You're not going to get better than this. And with this England team, I don't think you will ever. Well, we may be, maybe proved wrong. Hopefully, I'll be proved wrong. But I don't think we'll ever see a better team or more dominating performance. Um, like at the moment, technology is at its peak for what we what we know. Like the use of technology and the use of coaching methodology, and we've had a good few years now. Like when England won the World Cup previously, they were kind of making it up as they went. They were okay. What's what can we try? Um, what what aren't other teams doing that we can do? Um, and that was the incremental gains and the, the um, it's what. That's why we had such a successful uh, olympic cycle in 2012 because clive woodward was head director of athletics at that point um it's the marginal games idea and i think every team has adopted that now so the the, the playing the the level of playing and level of performance is very even especially in top top what eight teams they're all doing similar things they're all taking similar approaches There's no real secrets anymore, no um, real advantages of we've got this piece of kit that allows us to measure speed so we can program better. Everyone's got that now. Everyone's got access to it. They're all sharing knowledge. All the coaches, Eddie Jones, um, he was Japan coach before this. He was an Australia coach before that. Before that, he advised England on the the 2003 World Cup. So they're all sharing ideas, like Warren Gatman was WASPs. head coach like they're all sharing ideas because they're all going around so part of new zealand rugby is in england part of japanese rugby is, is in england now and vice versa so everyone knows the same tricks and tactics there's no there's no secrets anymore so i think it shows that um like you said sport uh you can't have instant success anymore you can't just tip up and go boom here we go world cup champions it takes some preparation it takes some uh take some time we talked a little mentioned a little bit at the start about talking about the deload and taper and why you why it's important why is that important Stefan?
2: um basically what you're just saying mate is it's you can't perform at maximal intensity all the time because you're just going to burn out like history and biology tells us that if your body is performing maximal effort Lo- um, managing maximal loads all the time it will break it just it just cannot function at that level for that period of time so D loads become incredibly important particularly at that level where you've got to include because when they're playing on such a regular basis in a tournament such as the world cup or it's knockout rugby you're playing a lot of games in a very short period of time so it's, it's more And being at that level, that is the elite of the elite. It's the best in the world, the best of every country, playing against the best of every country. So it's not just like you club rugby game. It's really, really hard. These guys are really giving up, well, I'll probably say close to, if not 100%, for the majority of that game. Um, and that takes a toll. So you have to be able to take a step back in your training, be able to look at what is the most important thing. At that point in time, identify it and work towards it. And taking a step back in your training and just making sure that you're only maintaining and you're not actually trying to get any new gains at that time is incredibly important because your body's being pushed to its limits every weekend on these games. So you have just by topping up and you do need to still have your weight training in there, your resistance training, make sure your nutrition stays on top of the game to ensure that you have recovery and repair in there, but then rest becomes your biggest asset. Because rest is where all the mechanisms for repair occur. And because you are going that max intensity in the game, you need more time to recover. So taking that step back, having more time off, and just simply running through the skills and drills, rather than actually, oh, like you shouldn't be learning how to pass a ball at that point in time. It should literally just be recapping, okay, what's this set move, what's this set move? Um, what's our scrum piece going to look like and almost just walking through it um, like if you watch the, the Rising Sun series on YouTube you see clips of these guys they're doing maybe 10 minutes of high intensity sprint work at the start of the session and then the rest of it they're literally walking through handling drills um, that's, all, like, and that's all they're doing they're just gent- gentle jogging up into contact pads doing some contact work doing some static jackling work over the ball trying to win con- uh, the ball contest on the floor it's it's very very low intensity relative to the game so it's just making sure that we're keeping on top of the skills and drills because that is now the most important asset um, and having a lot of rest is, is the biggest thing
1: yeah one of the things I found um, when was it last year or so well maybe last year as in the year of 2017 uh, to twenty or 2018 to 2019, my training was very personally, very, very low intensity. And then we did a, I think it was like a Christmas workout or something. it was like a, yeah, it might've been a Christmas workout. And I found that because my training was um, so low intensity and so I was just accumulating, it was higher volume, low intensity, I was just accumulating reps. When it was time to go like really, really hard, I felt amazing absolutely great and um i looked back on it and kind of reviewed it a bit more this year and thought well I me, mean, that is that's like it's really hard to think oh to play hard i need to train easy because it's that mentality of train hard fight easy but like yes you have to fight easy but also uh, that easy has to be like a really high level of intensity and it's i think it's the flawed logic if you go okay i need to play the hardest i've ever played in a game, like the New Zealand game, okay, so what should I do? I'm gonna train the hardest I've ever trained. And for specific bouts, I think that's it's important to go really, really hard. And again, you, you watch the Rising Suns episode, and they, or episodes, and they talk about the camps that they've been on, and it's like the worst fitness they've ever done. It's the toughest fitness they've ever done. But that's that tough fitness is followed by a day of rest, or they'll go and play on the beach and go and play a game of cricket right, the next day, um, they're not doing that constantly. And I think that's misconstrued when it comes to, um, I can't remember, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's like a, a world view when you're, I can remember what it's called when you're, you're trying to emulate elite level performance, you go, okay, if they can do it, if that's what they do to get to elite level, that's what I should do as a normal person. But as a normal person in general population, you're not thinking, or not taking into account that these guys get paid a decent amount of money they have maybe personal nutrition coaches, they have strength and conditioning coaches, they have doctors at their beck and call, they have therapists, sports psychologists, um, the latest cryogenic uh, recovery methods Methods in there. Whereas a, a normal general population, guy or girl, you've got a, <laughs> a nine to five job or a five to nine job. If you're working in London and living outside, you've got to travel in. You've got three kids, you've got a partner, you've got family um, duties, you've got to take your kids to rugby on the weekends and <laughs> football on the, on the weekdays. Um, you've got to help them with their homework, you've got to do some extra work for your job. Um, all the time you've got the not, not the best nutrition because money might be tight, um, so you may be cutting back on the quality of your food. And you've got this high stress you're not sleeping well you're not taking all that into account and then you go okay well if um, Owen Farrell is doing ten hundred percent sprint repeats followed by a gym session then I should probably be doing that well no that's it doesn't really work like that Um, the reason he's doing that is because he's got all the time to recover he can he can have the best nutrition and the best uh, recovery methods and the help with doctors and all that sort of stuff. And mm. a lot of them are actually held together by tape. <laughs> um, uh, and Johnny Wilkinson, for those that remember him, was a an example of that. Like getting up to the World Cup, they trained ridiculously hard. Although they took a much different approach to it, they trained a lot harder. He himself trained a lot harder than everyone else. He won the World Cup. They peaked at the World Cup. Perfect timing. And then I think it was, what, two months later, he um, received the first in of like 14 injuries that would essentially put him out of the game for like five years. And it was the precursor to him retiring, um, probably a lot earlier than he could have done. And maybe not achieving what he could have done, other than obviously achieving the World Cup, maybe because the next World Cup was terrible. <laughs> um uh well, they made the final in the next world cup they did uh just <laughs> yeah <laughs> they scraped they did what south africa had just done scraped yeah. by on their coattails um yeah uh which bodes well for us really revenge for 2007 um but i think it's important that the deloading and tapering and is is absolutely necessary. Um, obviously it is, it's really dependent on your, uh, you as the client of uh, what that taper and deload looks like. So um, I, had a, I had a question from one of my clients actually a while ago is why we haven't, we call them down weeks um, because the reason we call them down weeks or reason I call them down weeks is because it doesn't necessarily insinuate you're going to have a massive drop in training. Um, and I think it's a bit more... Uh, for for a lot of us, for life gen pop, we're quite addicted to training. We really enjoy it. We want to keep it up. Um, and saying, okay, you're going to cut your training in half this week, um, is actually got me personally. It's quite hard to take. You're like, oh no, I, I can be doing more. You know, of course, you could be doing more, definitely. Uh, but um, this is needed as well. So I call them down weeks because because it might only be a couple of reps down this week, and it might be might even not be enough for them to notice. Um, and it is just the manipulation of those of training variables volume and intensity load and um, speed and all that sort of stuff um, that needs to be dropped back just a little bit to allow them to recover so that you can up the level in the next week um what's all stuff of, of, of that you know of Stefan? of the england team been doing to kind of aid their taper and their deloads
2: um so in terms of actual technical details not much obviously that's quite a guarded secret because they don't want anyone to be to know um, I'm sure it will come out post World Cup what the actual periodized, yearly annual four year plan looked like um, and how they got around that but in terms of um, what I've seen um, they're just going for walks uh, they're spending time with family um, they've been going to the beaches like I saw them playing frisbee on the beach and um, There were they've been obviously using a lot of ice bath techniques and cold immersion therapy, cold water immersion therapy, um, cryotherapy, all this kind of stuff, uh, which is well researched. Um, The the research is conflicting in some areas, but um, if it's if you truly believe that it's going to have a positive impact on your recovery, then it genuinely normally does. It's it's quite a big psychological aspect to that. But yeah like you were saying before it's just they've got their own nutritionists so that recovery is absolutely perfect uh they're getting exactly what they need based on what they've done um but in terms of the actual content of their sessions it's literally just maintenance work so it's two compound lifts followed by two accessories and maybe a core finisher um that's literally all it is very low reps intensity is moderately high so it's I think they're doing something like three fives on a squat bench press, and then they've got some seated uh, dual dumbbell overhead press, superset with three-point row, and then maybe like some planks, weighted planks, and some palloff press to finish. It's literally that simple. Um, A lot of people think that what you're doing in the gym is not what elite performers are doing. And... Really, everyone's doing the same thing. Like, There's no secret with regards to what they're actually doing physically in the gym. It'll be very similar to what the general population do. It's just how they manipulate the variables and the velocity, like you were saying, like the velocity, the loads, the intensity. All these things are actually manipulated in their favor. So it would be super low volume but high intensity in the gym to ensure that power output and strength output are the highest that they can be without actually adding any additional fatigue on top of uh, they're comp- competing their game performance and their on feet conditioning slash skills and drills work that they're currently doing.
1: It's the application of it, isn't it? Of just principles. So um, it's it's really simple. Just apply it very well, and you'll most likely be successful. And I think when people come to us, especially as, as a coaching company, they think that individualized programs are for the elite. And strength and conditioning is for the elite performance and they, they just need to go to a class. Actually, um, no, they are, for, they are for you two. Uh, a coaching program doesn't mean you're going to be doing um, like running through a speed gate every day uh, to improve your 40 meter sprint <laughs> speed. No, it, it might be, mean that because you've got a, uh, you hurt your back in a motorbike accident a couple of like, years ago, we might not be doing back squats. You might be doing a Lunge instead, because that you just can't cope with a back squat, um, or you've you popped a disc um, in your back, and you need you need some specific training to allow you to keep improving whilst you recover from that um, injury. What I actually think is has made the biggest difference, and what I've seen from the videos that have been put out and the way the guys talk and. It is very reminiscent of the 2003 world cup team and any world cup team is that they truly believe that their coach is doing like the best for them they 100 percent believe they have absolutely no doubt in eddie jones that he doesn't know what he's doing and i think that was that was the same in uh, clive woodward in 2003 and that they absolutely believed that they were at the pinnacle of performance and that they have that, and especially, it's it's very much the process of uh, the the process that they believe in, and they're not focused on the game. They're not focused on um, the other team. They're focused on, as long as they put one foot in front of the other, connect their foot with the ball, um, that it will go where it wants. Or if they keep the eye on the ball, it will be passed to where they want. And if they do the process, they're going to get to where they want to be. Um, and Farrell mentioned it, Owen Farrell mentioned a similar thing about the process after he, he missed like five kicks. Who was that? I can't remember who that was against. Um,
2: uh, that was against the USA, but yeah. then he had been hit in the head.
1: Yeah, exactly. And one of the things he said, um, I think it was an interview or clip I saw somewhere, was that he he, he wasn't concentrating on the process. He's like, I, I couldn't con- for some reason, I couldn't concentrate on the process. We now know that he was is uh, he was definitely a little bit concussed, um, but the next week he, or that week he was like, yeah, I'm just going to focus on the process, um, just keep going through everything again, get it set in my mind, so when it comes to game day, he's fine again. And I think that with George Ford as well, that he's what 92% kick rate in a year, domestic and international, like <laughs> that is phenomenal. Johnny Wilkerson didn't even hit that. That is absolutely uh, phenomenal. Um, And it's all because he goes through the same process every single time. And he knows that if he goes through the same process, that will culminate in his goal. And he's not focused on... They're not focused on the World Cup, if that makes sense. They're focused on the next game and the next tackle, the next scrum. And that leads them to performing at a high level consistently, which they have done for the past 12 weeks.
2: Yeah. I agree. It's um it's it's just been so interesting from an both an objective and a subjective point of view, um, as a coach and as a former player, just to see how the journey that it they've been on mm. and how it started and how it's now finishing, from day dot to now the World Cup final. It's just been a very, very interesting journey and of what we thought was ups and downs in England rugby performance, turns out it was actually all part of a cunning plan. <laughs> Billy Jones to lure teams into thinking our oh, England would be a walkover, yeah. and actually just snuck up on people, and just been playing outstanding rugby. It's the best rugby I've seen from an England team for as long as I can remember. Yeah. Probably better than that 2003 team as well, I'd say,
0: because
2: yeah. they're beating teams that are playing at a higher level than we did back then as well.
0: Yeah,
2: um, it's just been absolutely outstanding. But um, just thinking about like how we can make this a bit more user friendly. Um, in terms of planning a deload for your everyday clients will, how would at what point would you give that person a deload? And um, if they were to object to a deload, what would you say to them in terms of the importance of a deload week
0: or taper? Uh, so great question, Stefan. <laughs> uh, I actually had a couple of things I wanted to go back on, but I'll jump back to those uh, in a bit. Um, so obviously with different periodization models, uh, there's different schemes to, to deload. Um, but generally, I think the, the level of client we work with, like there's an argument to be made that do, do they really need a deload? Um, the argument for no is that they're not training with a, an intensity that would uh, warrant it. But over the course of a long enough period of time, the uh, accumulative volume and intensity would uh, possibly cause um, a small degree of overtraining, uh, which could uh, warrant a deload. In terms of the physiological side, um, if you were to, to program them in uh, on a regular schedule, uh, then you may be able to uh, almost slowly like peak their fitness um since I'm, i i don't use them often uh with my clients unless they i can kind of see from the their results that they may be starting to struggle a little bit with fatigue i could maybe deload them a little bit drop their volume um but in my opinion the the level of client we work with isn't um training with enough not to say that their programs aren't very good they're, they're not training with enough intensity that warrants a, a deload uh, they've got enough stress in their life and so we're not trying to overburden them with too much stress in training as well um, can i add something there sorry
1: uh because I, I i i do agree with you um i think it comes from like your argument is that it's, it's the with the correct management of the training program for a general population client they kind of self-deload because there'll be weeks where. Work gets too busy, or they go on holiday, or they go for a weekend away. So they kind of self-deload quite often, I find. Um, but for the elite level, they sacrifice all that. They don't go on holiday with their families. They they don't go on weekends away. Work never gets too busy. Like so, there is the potential for them to overtrain much more easily, um, and for mm-hmm. the training plan to be screwed up. But the same on again on the flip side for the um, as will just mentioned um, it's not necessarily the training load that gets on top of clients it's actually their like the life load um, and their allostatic load from everything outside of the gym uh, their work family that usually gets on top of them and it culminates in them needing a week off and pot- or potentially a, a deloading training hope that adds something there will. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yes yeah. so that's kind of like effectively more eloquently put that it's not they they it's not the training that generally causes them to to feel that fatigue it's generally the culmination of everything in their life so when we give someone a training program we're not trying to give them additional stress uh, to a degree that they probably get fatigued that fatigue from it uh, we want to kind of enhance their life so we don't want to be uh, applying an intense program that could effectively uh, diminish their life quality in other aspects of their life um, but just Stefan, i think your other question was that how would you kind of deal with um, them kind of disagreeing with it
2: yeah yeah so if you had like an if they they're doing well for example like they're starting to hit some pbs um although like we we're saying the intensity is probably not that high but relative to their performance and what their goals are they might be hitting some pbs they might not have trained before um and they're doing really well and it's just every week they're very linear in terms of their gains and they're just getting better and better and better and then you say to them right we're going to do a deload this week and they say why i'm doing so well. well what would you say to that person how would you um, put across the importance of a deload
0: to that person or a taper um, So. I would argue, I wouldn't argue with them. I would. <laughs> no, it I, is right. <laughs> you My <laughs> point of view to them as that um, would be. I'd be deloading them to enhance their f- uh, future performances, um, and the, the deload isn't there that they because I want to see them perform less this week or, or next week. it's so that in, in the future they they can perform better. So that it's it's uh, allowed for greater recovery in that period. Uh, so that, that during the next stage they can perform better instead of just um, accumulating fatigue they can have a rest, a time of rest while still training relatively uh, hard uh, it's just going to be either lower volume or lower intensity or a combination of both but I propose that it's allowing them to recover greater during that period to enhance their performance in the next period
2: yeah that's a really good answer actually I think like it's what we were saying about Eddie Jones, that England squad, isn't it? It's like getting that buy-in at the start and reiterating that this is a long-term plan and that we can't always be pushing our limits because then our glass ceiling gets lowered every time we do that. So by taking a step back uh, at regular intervals to then raise that ceiling so we have further to push ourselves, I think is really, really important. And it's important to make that known to your client right at the start of that coaching relationship. It's a
1: tough one, isn't it? Like, because it's it's the it's really the job of the coach to think about the long term goals, always have that in mind. Whereas, especially at the elite level, the club, the um, in this case, the rugby player, they've got to focus on what's right in front of them. Because if they go, oh, I've missed that tackle, but I'll get the next one in two years' time, um, <laughs> that could that could cost them. Um, an important piece of that game so if their focus was okay let's focus on defense and they keep missing tackles go don't worry about it you missed them this time but it's next year they, they do have to actually for them to continue to play to continue to get paid etc etc they do have to focus on the short term um i think for a client uh, and of the general population it can be tough to see that uh, long-term picture um which I think is, is where focusing on the process and not necessarily focusing on the time that you're getting a workout in or a, um, the particular weight of a, that you're lifting. It's more about focusing, okay, let's focus on the quality of this game or the quality of our defense, the quality of your next squat, um, and the numbers will come. And eventually, if you continue to keep doing that in two years' time, that will culminate in the long-term goal.
0: Yeah, that's the the point I wanted to come back to. Um, We had that kind of conversation where, um, obviously at the start, you want to kind of sit down with the client. uh, This can be the coach and the rugby player, the rugby team, or the coach and the everyday uh, client and discuss the process, discuss what's going to happen and discuss where they're going to be in two to three years. And if you get to the point where the client trust the process they trust that the coach is putting things in place that's gonna um make them better along the way and all the client or the, the rugby player needs to do is focus on doing those little things to the best of their ability and they will see progress it's if they think too much about where they need to be they'll probably struggle so if they just think about doing the little things properly, taking little steps along the way, make sure everything they do is to the best of their ability, that success is going to come much better. And when it does, you're going to look like, even a rugby team, you're going to look really, really good. Yeah, yeah it's,
1: it's really that coaching relationship, isn't it? The, which drives the whole thing, the coach-client relationship. Like I said, I really think that the differentiating factor is that like the team, they really believe first, first and foremost in themselves, in the team and in Eddie Jones, and I looked, and I usually we talked yesterday a little bit about the rugby, just like as fans. Um, when England scored their first try against New Zealand, Steve Hansen, a New Zealand coach, like the camera panned to him. He looked absolutely astonished. He didn't have a clue what to do. That you could see the look on his face, and I think at that point, the coaching it must have gone earlier. The coaching relationship had must have broken down somewhere in the New Zealand team that like not nothing the i don't think the the team had 100% belief in the coach um I, I, that's just my opinion obviously um, <laughs> they probably did but i think there must have been some sort of thought in the back of their minds in when some of the players they just look they looked browbeaten. beaten they looked um, some of them maybe looked a little bit like they didn't want to be there or that they knew they weren't going to win there's something different about the new zealand team and after that first 98 seconds when england scored and it panned to steve hansen that kind of confirmed it for me i was like yeah this isn't this isn't a team a full 100 percent cohesive team at the moment and eddie jones talks a lot about the 30 31 man squad um and I think he's probably forgetting something is that he's part of that squad and he's part of the team. So there's probably 32 men in there and I think that that might be an unspoken belief in there that the the team believe he's on the pitch as well with them and guiding them all the way and they absolutely believe in each other and I think that that coaching relationship is is absolutely key to success of, of this England team. And again, for the general population, if you do have a coach, the hundred percent belief that you're in your coach, and then from a coach in your client that they're going to do the stuff you tell them to do, and they're going to give you the feedback that you ask for, and vice versa, that is usually the um, main predictor of a, of a of a reaching someone's goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, pe- people like have coaches because they they understand that the coach effectively knows knows better. England, the England rugby players could just go out there and perform without uh, a coach. They probably wouldn't get very far. No. <laughs> just like no. the everyday client, they can get somewhere without a coach, but they're at the point where they can't go any further because they just don't know enough.
1: Yeah. There needs to be needs to be someone leading it, doesn't there? That's why they have the head coach and then the assistant coaches. And then the team captain, then the assistant team captain, then they have the, the manager of the forwards. So within the forwards, there'll be someone designated to bind them together. In the backs, they'll be the same. England have even gone as far to go that they've got um, the social leaders. So the ones that organize all the social events. And um, so a lot of the stuff like the beaches, the beach plays that they do and um, games of cricket and games nights and all that sort of stuff that isn't led by the head coach that's led by the team and individual players in there i think um, uh, i think joe marler um, i can't remember who the other one is like right, jonathan jo- Jonathan joseph or something like that they're the they're the social heads like you would have at uni um, <laughs> social set. <laughs> yeah and I, I, like you have those leaders within there to take the pressure off the head coach and, and at the same time, to take pressure off the players. So there's no... Everyone knows their job. Everyone knows whose responsibility it is to do certain things. And everyone can just get on with doing their job then. And focus, yeah.
2: essentially. I agree. Like, and it's interesting as well. Because if you look at that, that England team from four years ago, when it first started and the leaders then compared to now, it's a very much different setup.
0: Mm.
2: So it's almost like wherever there has been a clash or a lack of belief from player to coach. That person has now been removed from the cohort and brought someone in that does believe in that system. Yeah. Case um, in point,
1: Danny Cipriani.
2: <laughs> Cipriani, Dylan Hartley. Yeah. Um, another example, he was co-captain when the Eddie Jones reign first started. Co-captain with Owen Farrell. Now he's nowhere to be seen. And not, he can't even start for his club team now.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, Chris Robshaw as well, removed. Yeah, uh, and he was the former captain of the 2015 World Cup. So um, all of these people have gradually been removed, and people that not, might not necessarily heard of at club level now are being brought into the team because they're good players and, and are now better players because they believe in that system. They have complete faith in the coach and the people around them, and uh, they're able to do the business because of that.
1: Yeah. And that's that's the reason why Danny Cipriani isn't isn't in the team. Like he was. The Premiership Player of the Year. Everyone like there's a big thing about him. Why wasn't he included? And it's because he he took away from the team. He didn't add to it. Mm-hmm. And that like what that's what again that's my my opinion and from the outside. Um, he obviously has the skill, and he showed that even when he did make the team. But was he? Were there people that were going? Well, he keeps fucking up. So why is he in the team? And was it causing contentious uh, or contention points? In, in the team um, and was it taken away from like the cohesiveness of the team and I think it's to use that as an analogy for general population like if you think of Danny Cipriani as the latest tool the latest gizmo to get you fit um, and it's super complicated doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work actually it's the simple things applied well that generally do the trick <laughs> he, he's, yeah. he's the method like He's not necessarily the principal The principal for the for the England team was team cohesiveness and working together, and he was maybe a bit too much of a um, uh, loose cannon. A loose cannon, yeah. To go to, to and it actually took away from the team. Sometimes that can work really well, and sometimes it can't. But again, when it's you take that to fitness, f forty five is the latest new fan dangled. Um, training system that's going to get you super fit before that it was crossfit before that it was p90x before that it was marathon training these methods come along and they they usually disappear as quickly as they come Um, but the principles stay resistance training consistency good nutrition good lifestyle guidelines that's what's going to get you to where you want on a long-term approach it's not the short term fixes. Danny Cipriani was a short term fix until for a, uh, a a problem when there was a gap that needed to be filled. let cool. us bringing this player doesn't necessarily add to the team too much and um but on the pi- on the pitch he was amazing obviously. Um but outside it caused more problems. Um mm. so yeah it's, it's not always the the new fad new fad that's going to going to get you to where you want to be.
2: Yeah, it's, it's almost like putting a, a plot like a bandaid over a bullet wound, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes, You're like trying to trying to solve an issue as quickly as possible. But is it necessarily the best way to fix the issue? Or would a an alternative, better, slower approach be more appropriate? And the answer is always yes. <laughs> um, so it's like, what is the, the root cause? How do we flush that out? How do we establish new patterns, behaviors, habits to address this overarching issue uh, to then get you on the right track to get the results that you want yeah.
1: exactly um, I think it's a good point to finish there um, so I'm going to put this this podcast out pretty soon before the World Cup um, so people can listen to it I'll get it out for tomorrow which will be Friday the 1st yeah 1st of 1st no- uh, oh, yeah, of November how I mean today? Whoop, whoop. Um, <laughs> so so Important question predictions Who do we Whoa. think is going to win the World Cup and why? England versus South Africa, 2nd of November, nine o'clock. Who's going to win?
2: England are going to win that game um, because all the reasons we have outlined above. Uh, the preparation for this team has been a four year process, it's been absolutely perfect. They have tapered this week to ensure that they're not uh, overtraining this week to make sure they can replicate the performance of last weekend when we beat New Zealand Um, and South Africa have not looked threatening. There's been nothing so far of their performances that have worried me at all. Um, They're they're not as good as New Zealand and we beat that team Uh, and they're also missing some key players. Um, Some big leaders in that squad uh, through injury so I think England win that game and we bring the World Cup back to England for the first Wee. time
0: in sixteen years.
1: Yeah. Will, what do you think?
0: Um, I don't really have much clue about rugby, but I've seen a few of the games in England do look pretty good. So I'm gonna obviously I'm gonna support England too. So <laughs> England are gonna win it and I'm gonna guesstimate it's gonna be twenty four ten. I don't um, know if that's a possible scoreline. It is a possible scoreline. I actually think it's,
1: uh, I don't think you're going to be far off. <laughs> I think that's going to be the, the margin, but I reckon it could be bigger. If, if, if England play like they can um, and they put together the, the and they, they, they fix the simple mistakes that they made last time against New Zealand and they finish a bit better, um, I think you, I don't think you'll be far off there, Will. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so my my guess, I say guess, prediction England to win um, but I'm not naive to think that uh, South Africa aren't going to put up a really good fight just because like, like we talked about in previous podcasts like arousal states, they'll just be so up for it that they'll give everything they've got um, but I think ultimately it will be the team the teamwork concept that we discussed that will let them down um, They've got but like against wales the their game plan was give it to de Clerk, don't pass kick it and that was it that was their game plan they couldn't it obviously worked but when you've got a defensive system like england have i don't think they're going to shut that down so quickly maru toji or sam underhill um, or tom curry are going to absolutely put in some terrific shots on him and uh, that will knock him. That will knock his confidence. He won't want to carry the ball anymore. So the only player they'll have after that is that D'Alander, the centre. And again, the only one that makes any real impact. And <clears throat> in the England team, there's no outstanding player, if that makes sense. You can't go, oh, this, like 2003, the person that saved them, the person that really got them there, obviously the team, but the ones that really got them there, Martin Johnson and Johnny Wilkinson. They're the heroes of that that era of rugby. Um, and in the England team, they've got 31 players <laughs> like, that are all just as good as each other, that could all start that game. Um, I think that's why Eddie Jones talks about finishing the finishers. He always names the team um, by the ones that are going to finish it, not the ones that are going to start it. And I think that's a good uh, approach. But South Africa haven't got that teamwork. They haven't got that cohesiveness um, this year. Um, they've got two outstanding players that are so far from the rest that there's a big gap in the middle. And uh, that's, that's where they base, their, they base their whole approach around those two players. And that's a big mistake, I think. So England to win. Can't wait. Come on,
0: England! Yeah. I even
1: ordered a new rugby top. Yeah. Hopefully it (laughs) it turns up today. Cool. Right. Let's end it there. Um, For those that are listening, thank you. Um, We hope you look forward to watching the World Cup. And for those that are listening afterwards, yay, we won! (laughs) I really hope that that, um, South Africa don't win now because I'll be eating my words. Um, Yeah, but been a great little podcast, I think. So hope you enjoyed it and uh, tune in for the next one, uh, which will be the second part to the um, how to pass SAS selection process that we did with stoic conditioning. Tune in for that. So peace out.